What is the mark of a healthy church? If you were to visit a church, how would you know that it is a healthy church? How would you know that it is a church that truly glorifies our Lord Jesus Christ? I think this is a very important question because today in our country, there are many different kinds of churches out there. Um, there are some that are very entertainment focused. Um, they want to draw you in with, uh, with contemporary music, uh, maybe with dark lights and special lighting effects. Um, there are some that have turned the church service really into almost like a talk show, where it's more of a conversation rather than the preaching of God's word. Um, there are churches that have favored um, the singing uh, of song, which certainly is important, uh, but that they'll do that far more than they will actually present the Word of God. And there are some churches that, while they may present the Word of God, um, you may have a hard time finding where the Word of God actually is in that message. Uh, there's a lot of churches that are proclaiming the ideas of men that are proclaiming worldly ideologies or worldly um, thoughts and ideas about uh, how we should live and what we ought to do. What we know is that throughout the ages, from the very beginning, what has been timeless has been the Word of God. It has been never changing. It has been perfect. It has provided us the most perfect testimony of God himself and of his son, Jesus Christ. And the Lord, our God, provided us this word in order for us to learn it, in order for us to understand it. And even when we think about the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, you know what Jesus told the apostle Peter, his disciple, after Peter had made the confession that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus told him that on this rock, I will build my church. And the word church always had in it the meaning of a congregation, a gathering, people coming together. That is why the church is also referred to as the body of Christ. And what I'm getting at is the mark of a healthy church is a church that not only proclaims the word of God, but it proclaims the word of God and applies it to the body of Christ. There are many people today that will claim to be believers, and yet they have no affiliation to any kind of church at all. They feel no compulsion to attend a church. They don't feel they need to attend a church. They believe that as long as I have my own personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that is enough. And certainly, I will say that without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved. That I will affirm to you. But if you look to the scriptures... There is no concept, there is no idea in here, there is no suggestion that a man of God can exist apart from the people of God. All of us, as children of God, are meant to be with the people of God. We are meant to support one another. We are meant to build one another up. And the best way to do that is through the Word of God. There are a lot of people out there that think that we need the ideas of man. Um, there are magazines that call themselves Christian magazines that I've read articles recently that says that um, unless churches today get with the times, it will continue to dwindle in its numbers. It will not be successful. It needs to move with the times. It needs to move with the new ideas that are happening today. But the word of God is timeless. 
And we know that when God proclaimed his word, he declared the end from the beginning. He already knew everything that would take place. And for us, the best thing that we can do is to fill ourselves with God's wisdom. Amen? Amen. And so as we come back to this passage in Ephesians, I have said this before, but these verses that we're looking at, they're, they're very near and dear to my heart. This is where I got the motto, growing together in Christ. If you're really trying to assess a healthy church, a healthy church is one that proclaims the word of God and shows the purpose of the word of God within the body of Christ. It's not meant to proclaim it to each one of you individually so that you may live your own individual lives. It's meant to proclaim it to you that you may serve one another. And just as I mentioned this past Wednesday, the Awana Grand Prix, it was a wonderful testimony because a lot of people came together from all throughout the body of Christ. And it turned into just a wonderful, fun time for the kids, but a wonderful testimony also for the parents who were there. Because Jesus said that you, they will know who you are by your love for one another. And that's one of those events where the people could see our love for one another. And yet, as your pastor, I would say, excel still more. We want to continue to grow. In fact, what we'll see in the passage that we look at this morning is that we are to continue to grow for the rest of our existence, for the good and for the sake of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's... Uh, turn back into Ephesians and look at chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 13 this morning. And the last couple of messages, I have really slowed down. The first message, I kind of talked about apostles and prophets and why they are not for today. They laid the foundation of the church, but they are no longer needed for today because we have the Word of God. We have teachers and we have pastors. Um, and then the next week, I went through the book of Acts. To really show you that from the establishment of the church, from the very beginning, that teaching was foundational to the church. Teaching was foundational to the church. So whatever ideas that people may have about church and, and whatever aversion people may have to, to, to the teaching of God's word um, is foreign to the people of God from the very beginning. And, and now this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to go through verses 11 through 13, and we're going to see God's vision for the church that we would be equipped for ministry to one another so that we may grow in godly unity. And Paul was going to explain God's vision of equipping the church by identifying three elements of the church. But before we get into verses 11 through 13, just a quick review. Just remember, starting in this chapter, going back to verse 1, was the central command in all of Ephesians that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called. That calling points back to the first three chapters and all the rich theology that had been revealed there. And then it tells us that in verse 3, we are to be diligent in preserving the unity of the Spirit. And the unity of the Spirit is further reinforced by seven truths that we see from verses 4 through 6. One body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all. And then we got to verses 7 through 10. 7 through 10 now emphasize that there is also diversity within the body of Christ. While we're all united on key doctrines, on, on key understandings of the gospel, verses 7 to 10 starts off with the idea that grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. To each one of us, grace has been given. A gift has been given. And then he quotes this psalm um, to show that Jesus 
ascended up on high, and he gave gifts to men. And verse 10 reads, He who descended, that's Jesus Christ, is himself who also ascended far above all the heavens, so that he, this is Jesus, might fill all things. And the idea here is that Jesus is filling the church with his power. And we're going to return to that idea. That idea is going to be very important as we look at verses 11 through 13. And so we got through 11 to 13, and verse 11 talks about the gifted men that Christ gave to the church. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And then finally, what we'll study next time from verses 14 through 16, as a result, as a result of all this work that Jesus Christ is doing with his church, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So all these verses that we just read, these are all connected together. But as we go back to verses 11 through 13, and I talked about God's vision for equipping the church. He equipped the church through three, these three truths. The first is who Christ gave to equip the church. Who Christ gave to equip the church. And we see this in verse 11. And we've been looking at this verse the last couple of weeks. He gave some, that means some men. He gave some men as apostles. He gave some men as prophets. Some men as evangelists. Some men as pastors and teachers. And I talked about these men uh, the last couple of weeks. I'll provide a summary here, and then we'll move on to verses 12 and 13. But just as a summary, apostles, once again, these were special men sent directly by God. The word apostle actually comes from the word to send. So these are sent ones, and specifically these are men who were sent by God. And this originally included the 12 disciples. Um, that would even include Judas. Uh, but once Judas uh, died, uh, he was replaced by Matthias. We find that in the beginning of the book of Acts. And then later you have men like Paul and Barnabas who were added as apostles. Paul was blinded by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. You find that in Acts chapter 9. And then Barnabas would end up being set apart by the Holy Spirit very audibly to the church at Antioch in chapter 13 of the book of Acts. And there may have been possibly other apostles. We don't have a, a master list that's provided uh, of who, were, who the apostles were. But at that time, the people were clear who the apostles were. They knew that the apostles were men that were specifically sent by God. And then we had prophets. Prophets were used by the Holy Spirit to speak forth God's word. Now, their words could be futuristic. They could be future-telling. But that wasn't always the case. In fact, when you read uh, the works of the prophets, uh, most times it wasn't future looking, but rather calling, for instance, Israel to repentance. Um, so their words could be futuristic, but not always. But when it was futuristic, they were held to the standard of perfection. And you see that in the book of Deuteronomy. 
When God tells Moses that I'm going to raise up a prophet from among you, and the question is asked, how do we know that a prophet has actually come from you? And God says, when he says something will happen and it happens, that's how you know he's a prophet. But if he says something is going to happen and it doesn't happen, you are to stone him. He has spoken presumptuously. So there is a standard of perfection that's always been put over prophets, which is one of the reasons why we can reject the prophets or the so-called prophets of today. Because many will claim to be prophets for today, but they'll hold themselves to a much lower standard. 50%, 70%, once in a while, I don't know. Uh, But uh, what I know for sure is that while there are many people that will claim to be prophets, we have the everlasting, universal, for all ages, word of God. And you will never, ever go wrong by studying the word. I mean, even when the Apostle Paul, when the Apostle Paul went to the noble Bereans, right? Here is the Apostle Paul. He is an apostle. He is a prophet. He is an evangelist. He is a pastor and a teacher. He's all these positions that we just discussed. He goes to the Bereans. And the Bereans are called noble because they received everything that he said, but they also examined the scriptures to see whether these things were so. So we will never go wrong by examining the scriptures. And then we move on to evangelists. Um, Evangelists are a little bit harder to fully um, flesh out because evangelists is only mentioned three times in the entire New Testament. Once right here in Ephesians, uh, once in referring to Philip, who was one of the um, deacons. Um, he, He would go down to Samaria and he would witness the gospel. And then it was also given as a command from Paul to Timothy. Paul told Timothy while he was at Ephesus, do the work of an evangelist. So we know that an evangelist could be like Philip, where he traveled around sharing the gospel. But he could also be like Timothy, who was tasked with the church in Ephesus. And he too, though he was called to preach the word, he was also called to do the work of an evangelist, which to me means to share the gospel, make sure that you preach and proclaim the gospel. And then next we've got pastors. And pastors, the Greek word is literally shepherds, the same word. When you see shepherds, you see it's the same word as pastors, pastors and shepherds. And we saw in the book of Acts last week that there were elders that were called to shepherd the flock. So we see from the very beginning, pastors were were called, pastors were called to oversee the flock of God. And in fact, what I've been emphasizing, and and I think you've gotten this pretty loud and clear, is that for me, as your pastor, It is my task and my duty to oversee you guys spiritually. I'm the one that's tasked with your spiritual protection. We are in spiritual warfare, as I had mentioned time and time again. And you guys need to be able to discern what is of God and what is not of God. And the best way for you to discern is to know the word of God. And so pastors, the reason why pastors and teachers are called to are are listed together. The last one we have is teachers. Um, teachers taught the word of God. A pastor is a shepherd who oversees the flock, but I can't oversee the flock without teaching you the word of God. I oversee and help you by teaching you the word of God. And what we'll see later today is that teaching is the same as the equipping. You are being equipped by my teaching you of the word of God. And so teachers taught the word of God through teaching and preaching. And what you see in the book of Acts is that teaching was foundational from the very beginning in the church. It was foundational from the very beginning. So that completes the people that Christ gave to equip the church. But what that leads us to is our second point, our second truth, which is what the church is being equipped to do. 
So we talked about these five types of positions, and obviously these five types of positions are not all distinct. For instance, the Apostle Paul, you could say, was all five. He was an apostle, he was a prophet, he was an evangelist, he was a pastor, and he was a teacher. Uh, before these days, the prophets and apostles no longer are in operation, at least not by any, um, any proof that I've seen. And what we have today are we have the evangelists, people like Gail Cheatwood, who does a lot of travel. Those of you who are witnessing the gospel to your friends and family. I know of people that go to the mall at El Centro and they're, um, they're regularly giving out tracts, sharing the gospel. Those are the work of evangelists. And I also reflect the work of evangelists when I share the gospel at the end of each message. So when we share the gospel, that is really doing the work of an evangelist, making sure that the gospel is being heard. But when we talk about the equipping, the equipping that came from initially the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers, what is it that the church is being equipped to do? And this is absolutely central to our existence. This is how we know that you are a part of a healthy church. This is if you're ever to go and survey another church. This is how you determine whether that church is functioning according to the word of God or not. And it's in this second point what the church is being equipped to do. And so we look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, there's a lot of prepositional phrases there. There's a, there's a lot of words there. We're going to break, break this apart, but this is actually very, very straightforward. And this is basically saying that you are being prepared for service to one another. In essence, that's what it's saying. Each one of you are being prepared for service to one another. And let me break it out this way. In the next slide here, you'll see this diagram here. Um, I've broken out uh, this verse into three parts. And one leads to the next, which leads to the next. So in other words, these five positions, these five gifts that are listed by Paul, that Christ gave to the church, what is it for? Well, right here in verse 12, it's for the equipping of the saints. And what is the equipping of the saints for? It's for the work of service. And what is the point of the work of service? It's for the building up of the body of Christ. It's for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, let's take a look at each one of those phrases individually. First, for the equipping of the saints, the equipping of the saints. Now, this word equipping, in the English, we might, uh, we kind of gather a physical connotation of this, right? I mean, we think in terms of sports, like, you know, if you're going to go play football, you know, we've got the Super Bowl later today. Uh, but when you go out and play football, you need to be properly equipped. Um, we understand that. Um, but in this case, um, the, the word for equipping really has to do a lot more with instruction. Um, the Greek word's got a broad range of meanings, but in this context, it would be more about preparation and instruction. You're being prepared. You're being instructed. You're being built up or established in order to accomplish a certain task. So th this word for equipping, it always has an object. You're equipping someone or something to do something. All right. And in this case, I, we are equipping the church in order to perform something. So this is the equipping of the saints. And when we talk about saints, who are the saints? All of you. That's right. All believers are saints. So unlike some churches which will say that they got to go through a process in order to be formally recognized as a saint, the Bible recognizes everyone in Christ as a saint. Literally, it's holy ones. You are holy ones. You have been set apart by God. So therefore, you are saints. So the equipping of the saints involves everyone, involves every one of you here who are in Christ. 
But the equipping of the saints is for a purpose. And that gets to that second phrase, which is for the work of service. Now, this is pretty straightforward, but let me hammer this home a little bit more deeply. That word service in the Greek is the same word from which we get the word ministry or minister. Okay, so ministry is basically service. It's the same thing in the Greek. You know what that means? Each of you are being equipped for ministry. You are all ministers, or at least you are. That is God's purpose for you. That is the purpose of Jesus Christ in giving these gifts to you, that you are all servants. You are all ministers. And so the reason why these five positions have been given to the church, which are all teaching, these are all teaching-related positions, it's in order to prepare you. It's in order to instruct you. It's in order to build you up that you may do the work of a minister. And so I understand that here at this church, I'm the only full-time minister here. I get that. You know, you're, you don't, you, you, have, you have secular jobs that you do, but even in your secular jobs, of course, you have ministry out there, don't you? That's a mission field, is it not? It's an opportunity for you to be able to show what a Christian looks like. It's the opportunity for you to be able to show love for one another. You know, it's an opportunity to be able to show, to, to, to show how much you care that you may have an opportunity to be able to show them the gospel, invite them to church. And I know a lot of you are doing that. And, you know, when we talk about uh, this church, uh, some people have um, been a little bit anxious about the numbers that, you know, the numbers of the church hasn't necessarily gone up um, since I started um, back in July of last year. Um, But when we look at what makes a healthy church, what is a successful church, the Bible never talks about numbers. God is the one that's in charge of numbers. What he is concerned about is faithfulness. He wants faithfulness. But let me tell you that as you're out in the workplace, as you're out with family and friends, as you're out and about in the world, if you are walking the walk of Christ, if you are showing love towards others and you have an opportunity to share the gospel and to invite people that that maybe are don't have a church, either they're unbelievers or they're believers and, and they're they haven't found a good church to go to. Just continue to share the gospel, continue to invite them to come here. And that's where the true growth is going to come from. I'm not as worried about people that have left to gone to other churches. I certainly hope that they go and help make that church strong. I hope they become a part of that family that they're at. Um, But for all churches here in Brawley and Imperial Valley, my desire is to see them well and healthy. And really, the, the growth should be coming through evangelism by making converts of unbelievers. That's where the real growth, that's where the the kind of growth that is ordained by God will come from. And then when we talk about, so we know that each one of us have been equipped for the work of service, but the work of service, to what end, to what purpose? Well, that's in the third phrase there, to the building up of the body of Christ, to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, at this point, this word building, this is using construction analogy. This is this is terminology used with construction. And this ties back to if you remember at the end of chapter 2, you can even look there right now. I don't have it up on the slide, but at the end of chapter 2, Paul talks about how the church is the temple of God. How how the church is a dwelling place of God in the spirit. That that we are growing into a temple of God. We are being built into a dwelling place of God. Well, when Paul says that we, are gro- that we are growing into the temple of God, that we're being built into a dwelling place of God, God just doesn't do that mystically on his own. He actually does that 
through the gifts that are given to each one of us as children of God. He, gives, he, he builds up the church through you guys who are being equipped to the work of ministry so that you may help build up the body of Christ. That you may help build up the body of Christ. And so this building up, it's the same word for edify, but it's this analogy that, that this is a structure that we together, it's not literally the physical structure here, but we as a people are being built into a temple of God. And we are growing together in Christ as a dwelling place of God. God is never more present than in the congregation and assembly of his children. And so that is here even right now as we worship together. So that is what the church is being equipped to do. That is what the church is being equipped to do. So we've talked about who Christ gave to equip the church. And we talked about what the church is being equipped to do. Now we're going to take a look at what is the end goal of our equipping. What is the end goal of our equipping? All right, so this is, hopefully this is insightful. Hopefully this is, this is giving you some extra clarity in terms of what our purpose is. Because a lot of us, we come to church, unfortunately, and we have a little bit more of a consumer mindset that we think we're just here to receive some motivational message, go home and, and go about our day, go about our week. But if you're looking for application in these verses that I'm sharing with you this morning, the application is, is here within the church. You apply these truths by serving within the church, and not just on Sunday, but throughout the week, supporting each other, helping one another. But what is the end goal of this equipping? What is the end goal of me helping prepare you for the work of service? Well, verse 13, it says this, and this is a monster verse, but it says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's a mouthful. That is a lot. And, um, and I, I recognize that in a lot of these letters of Paul, Paul's letters are not always easy to understand. I was just talking to one of you about that recently. They're not always easy to understand. Take comfort in the fact that even Peter found them hard to understand. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, he even says that Paul's letters are hard to understand. But he says that it's the ignorant and unstable that are going to distort them to their own destruction. So if they're hard to understand, it's up to us to apply ourselves to try to understand it. And this is a reminder that understanding God's work, it takes time and effort. It does take work. You know, and even for those of you young ones who are here in the audience, let me just say that nothing comes easy in life. I mean, you know that when you go to school, you go to school in order to be taught, in order to be prepared for life beyond high school. But nothing comes easy in life. And that includes the very word of God. And let me tell you that while everything you're learning in school is very important, there is nothing more critical than what you're going to learn from the Bible. The Bible is going to guide you for all time. And especially when you leave this place and start going to um, universities, especially if you go to some of the major cities, you're going to be exposed to a lot of ungodly thinking. You're going to be exposed to a lot of people that are going to attempt you to disbelieve God. They're going to attempt you to think that the Bible is not really perfect, that it really needs to kind of change with the times. That the people that wrote the Bible, they're not as wise as we are today. We know a lot more with all of our genders and whatnot. You need to be prepared by understanding the word of God. And even for you as kids, it's going to take time. It's going to take work and it's going to take effort. 
You have to try to learn this and understand this. And I guarantee you, if you understand the word of God, you will be better off for it for the rest of your lives. And so we know that these things take work. So as we look at this verse 13, this is a mouthful. I get it. It is a mouthful. Let me break this apart. The, anytime you look at a verse and you're not sure how to, what to make of it, first you want to identify the main action. Okay, what's the main subject? What's the main action? And the subject is we and the verb is attain. Okay, so we all attain. Okay, so until we all attain. That's the main statement. Until we all attain. But then from there, the question is, what is it that we're attaining? Well, the first thing that we're attaining, we look at that first word to right after that to we are attaining to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of god and then we see another two we see another two which which says and that's out of place it should be to a mature man something gets lost in translation when i transfer it over to cindy that's not her fault but um it it, that uh, that other circle should be over to a mature man and the third one should be over to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of christ what i'm getting at is this We are all to attain three things, and it's identified by the preposition to, T-O. It's to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, and to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, let me give you this diagram to kind of visualize it a little bit better. So we have this diagram. Okay, on the left side, until we all attain. That's the main action. And right there, you have those three items that we're looking to attain. The first one is to the unity and the unity of both of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. The second is to a mature man. The third is to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And I will show you that the second and third really refer to the same thing. That's why I have an equal sign in between. So really, if you want to simplify this, we're looking at attaining unity and maturity. Unity and maturity. Okay, unity. Now, when we think about this unity... We'll focus first on that unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. It says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Well, we may remember that earlier in this chapter, Paul called us to preserve the unity of the Spirit, right? I mean, I think that's um, back in verse 3. We are called to preserve the unity of the Spirit. And here we're called to attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Well, what's the difference? What's the difference? Well, the difference is this. When you guys were saved, when you first professed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you immediately shared a number of truths in common with other believers. Immediately, you know that you're proclaiming the same Lord. You have the same spirit. You are a part of the same body of Christ. You have the same hope of your calling in the future, right? You have the same faith, the same baptism, the same God. That was, that was the whole point of those, those sevenfold realities from verses 4 through 6. You share those same things in common immediately. But we, as a body, even here at Western Avenue, as well as we do in terms of our service, we're not perfectly united. So there is a growth that has to happen above and beyond that. You know, it's kind of like when you first join a company. If you work, you know, when you join a company for the first time, immediately when you join that company, you're a part of that company. You've been through an interview process. You have affirmed the company values. You have affirmed their vision and how you're going to be a part of that vision and what you're going to do for that company. So immediately there's a certain unity that you share with the rest of the company. But there's an additional unity that you're going to build by working with them, by getting to know them. You know, by working side by side by those folks. And it's no different in the body of Christ. When you were saved, there's a certain unity that you were automatically baptized into. 
There is certain unity that applied to you, that applied to all believers. But as we grow in the faith, as we continue to grow in our knowledge of God and his word, we will continue to grow more and more united. I can't tell you how often I've gone to foreign countries. And though I barely, you know, I often have to use a translator to speak to people that I'm talking to in a foreign country. But when we start to talk about our shared faith, it is amazing how quickly I feel a bond with them. And that's just from growth. That's from maturity. When you start to know more of the scriptures, when you start to be able to affirm more of the scriptures, you will start to experience a greater unity with one another. And that's the unity we're looking to attain. That's why it says the unity of the faith. And here, the faith, all the things that we believe in as Christians, all the things that we believe in as Christians. You know, there's, there's a certain fundamental set of things that we believe in, but as we grow, we will grow in learning more and more about what the Word of God says. But also, not just the unity of the faith, but the unity of the knowledge of the Son of God. You know, now this um, past week, it's been all over the news, the tragic death of Kobe Bryant. I, I understand that significance. Um, I've, I followed um, Lakers basketball since I was a kid. I remember being at UCLA when he was first drafted out of high school to play for the Lakers. And uh, I followed that team religiously. And it was strange because last week, after I finished my message last week, there was a gentleman in the back who had visited us for the first time. Um, and uh, his daughter and, uh, and his wife had been here previously, but they came up to me and said, um, the daughter said, my, my father wants to meet you. He's sitting in the back. And he was talking to one of the other members here. I went back there. Um, and, and uh, you know, we greeted each other, and he talked about how he enjoyed the message, but then he said, but I also want to talk to you about the Lakers, because he's a Laker fan, and he had heard from his daughter that I was a Laker fan also. So he started asking me a series of basketball questions. All right, who's the greatest ever? Who would you trust with the last shot in the game? You know, of course, in these conversations, they lead us to Kobe Bryant, so we're talking about Kobe Bryant, talking about LeBron James right now and, and his role on the team. It was a strange conversation because I've never, after a sermon, talked about the Lakers or basketball with anyone. It was one of those things. And um, little did I know that during that conversation, it was already hitting the headlines that the helicopter crash that was carrying Kobe Bryant. And it was right after leaving that I found out the news. But as, as I hear all this testimony of Kobe Bryant, if you listen to the testimony, people, today's basketball players, they look up to Kobe Bryant. They want to be Kobe Bryant. And during Kobe Bryant's days, he looked up to Michael Jordan. He wanted to be Michael Jordan. A lot of times, greatness is achieved in various fields because there was someone that they were emulating, someone that they were looking to, someone that they were saying, I want to be like that person. And in this case, I gave you the example of basketball, but here we're talking about something far more significant. Because here we're talking about the fact that each one of us wants to grow to be more like Christ. Amen? Amen. And you can't do that unless you know who Christ is. And of course, you know who Christ is in terms of being Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins. But how are you going to imitate his example unless you know more about who he is, what he did, and why he did it? Amen. That requires us to study the scriptures. That requires us to understand the gospels. That requires us to understand the Old Testament and how it all pointed forward to Christ. That requires us to read through the epistles and read through the letters of people like Paul that explain this is what it means to be more like Christ. 
And so the unity that we're seeking, it's a unity not only of what we believe and what we know from the word of God, but it's our understanding of who Jesus Christ is. You've heard that acronym WWJD. What does that stand for? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Well, guess what? You can't answer that question unless you know what Jesus has done. And the only way you'll know what Jesus has done is be able to study the scriptures and to read from the epistles and not just the red letters. All right. I mean, that's um, some of you. Uh, some of you recently purchased uh, MacArthur study Bibles. Right. I mean, you, um, you know, I preach from the NASB and you bought a MacArthur study Bible. And one of you said, you know, there's no red letters for the words of Jesus Christ. And I said, you know why? That's by design, because um, John MacArthur, um, he, he hates the idea that the only the red letters are important because it's all important. Right. It all comes to us by God. And so while the words of our Lord Jesus Christ is certainly worthy to be studied, we don't want to elevate that above the other scriptures, which I I recognize, I don't believe anyone here has done that. You know, and and I do read some Bibles that have red letters in them. You know, I I get it. Um, But um, unfortunately, there are some churches that teach that that teach or treat the the word of God um, as being more authoritative if it's printed out in red. And, and that's, uh, that's happening even today. So we want to attain this unity that, that comes by our understanding of our faith, but also our understanding of the Son of God. But the second thing we want to do is we want to attain to a mature man, to a mature man. And this is really talking about the, the word that's being used is really describing someone who has grown up as a youth and has become fully grown, right, fully grown. And the question is, okay, well, what does this mean? Well, this connects to the third one, because I believe to a mature man gets clarified by the third one, which is to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, even that little phrase, that's a lot of words. And I think the NASB in this case makes this a little bit more complicated than it needs to be. The ESV just says to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I believe the New King James says the same thing. So, but what does that mean? When we think about the fullness of Christ, let's start with there. The fullness of Christ is talking about all that Jesus Christ was and is, right? I mean, he, he was God from eternity past, and he came incarnate, and he lived a perfect life, and he humbled himself. He not only lived a perfect life, he not only has all authority as God, but he humbled himself for a time here on earth. He humbled himself, allowing himself to be put to death by sinful men, to die on the cross, And so when we talk about the fullness of Christ, this is a very, very uh, rich kind of concept. And we don't want to ignore this because this concept has come up multiple times, even in the book of Ephesians. Let me show you just a few verses. In Ephesians uh, 1, 22 to 23, um, 1, 22 to 23, we read, and this was talking about the power of God that we saw in Jesus Christ. It says, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here we see the fullness of Christ, that the body is being described as the fullness of Christ who fills all in all. So we already see that idea, the similar idea that we saw here in chapter four, that Christ is filling the church with his power. Christ is filling the church with his power, and it's the fullness of him that fills it. So it's all that Jesus Christ is. And I understand that this is a big and weighty topic, but we also see it in chapter 3, verses 19 to 20. This is when Paul lifts up that final prayer in chapter 3. And he, he prays that he wants you to know, 
to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. So there's that emphasis again on knowing Christ, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that, so for this purpose, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So there is a very rich concept of the fullness of God and the fullness of Christ that is throughout this letter, Ephesians. And Paul wants you to to get a grasp of this and to really meditate upon this, that Christ in his fullness is working through this church and working through every church that truly proclaims his name. He is filling them truly with his power in order to do his purpose, to accomplish his purpose. And then, of course, verse 20 at the end there says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Power has been a very strong theme throughout Ephesians as well. God gives us his power. He gives us his power through the Spirit. He gives us his power through the gifts that he gives to the church, through the individual gifts that each one of you have, but also through the equipping of people like pastors and teachers. So not just myself, but also the litany of teachers that we have at this church. And we are immensely blessed. Let me tell you, we are immensely blessed that we have such good teachers at this church. And I know that. I know that from the the time I've started, there's been nothing but agreement amongst us in terms of the most important things that we cover in Scripture. And, and I know that uh, any time I can have people like Michael Reeves or Jeremy Cheat would cover for me, and I know they're go- going to proclaim the word of God faithfully. You know, so that is a tremendous blessing. And for you women, I know you've got Maureen Lynn, and we've got Terry Norris t- teaching in the middle of the week. We've got a number of you that teach the children on Sunday mornings. And we have a rotation of other teachers that help share that load. And what a wonderful blessing it is. Treat them with respect. Because they are all here serving the same purpose. They're seeking to equip you. They're seeking to prepare you. They're seeking to establish you for the work of service. And then we have this in Ephesians 4.10. And this was the verse just before these set of verses that we studied this morning. He who descended is himself. Also, he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Now, what is this saying? Going back to um, our main verse 11 through 13, when we look at that end of verse 13, when it says that, that to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. What is that saying? Is that the fullness of Christ, okay, the fullness of Christ is filling this church. And his desire, if we are the body of Christ, it's worthy, it's, it's, it's logical to conclude that he wants the body of Christ to match in maturity with the head. He wants the body of Christ to reflect the will of God, to reflect the will of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so for us, he wants us to be able to grow in a way that we reflect the fullness of Christ, that we reach that measure of that stature. And we talk about that word stature, stature just talking about all who Jesus Christ is, all he has, his reputation, his status as the son of God and as the head of the church. That, that the body of Christ would, would grow and match that stature of Jesus Christ himself. Now, that's a tall order, is it not? That sounds like an impossible task. But it's not impossible because we receive the power of God in order for us to do it. And so when we talk about these gifts, when we talk about the unity, when we talk about walking in a manner worthy of the calling by which you've been called, you are to walk in a manner by being united together and recognizing 
that each time you have an opportunity to sit under the preaching or the teaching of myself or one of the other teachers in this church, it is an opportunity to be prepared and equipped even further. As you learn more and more about the word of God, you are going to be more and more equipped and prepared to help one another. You're going to be more and more prepared to be able to pray with one another, to pray for each other, to know what to pray. You're going to be more equipped to be able to bear one another's burdens, to be able to counsel one another when they go through difficult times. You're going to be able to bring the word of God and say that, that no matter how dark a tragedy may be, no matter how difficult a circumstance is, that we still have a good God. And you'll be able to show them examples, encourage them with examples right from the scriptures. As we learn more and more, the more like our Lord Jesus Christ we become. I've never met a Christian who said they didn't want to become more like Christ. If I asked each one of you, I'd expect all of you to raise your hand. Who wants to be more like Christ? Well, the path to becoming more like Christ is by obeying his word. And in this case, the path to becoming more like Christ starts within the church. It starts by being equipped. It starts by recognizing you're being prepared for service. And you're being prepared for service specifically to one another for the glory of our God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here for the first time this morning, you may have heard me talk about this example of Kobe Bryant and his death. You know, one of the things that I recognized as I was listening to all these testimonies of Kobe was a lot of people talked about how fragile our life is. And that's true, is it not? How fragile our lives are, how you never know when the end's going to come. And so many people responded with, you know, immediately I wanted to go home. I wanted to kiss my sons. I wanted to kiss my daughters. I wanted to reconcile with with relationships that have been broken in my past. And those are all good things because indeed life is short. But let me tell you that there is one thing that is missing from that revelation. Life is not just short. It is short for a reason. Life is short because God cursed us with death. That happened from the very beginning. We die because we are sinners. Death is meant to help us recognize that we are standing in judgment before a holy God. And none of us are good enough to be deemed innocent. All of us stand guilty. Even one sin and we are guilty of the entire law. And so the fact that life is short is meant for us to seek out God and to recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. That we couldn't do it on our own. We can never prove ourselves to be good before a holy God. It is absolutely impossible. That's why Paul said no one does good. No one seeks after God. Not even one. And that is why God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. He sent his son in the world not simply just to give us an example, though he certainly is that for us as Christians. He didn't send his son into the world simply to show people how to live, though he certainly did that. But first and foremost, he sent him into the world in order to die for the sins of those who would confess him as Lord and Savior. Because by confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, that is the only way you will be able to stand innocent before a holy God. And so Jesus Christ is the way. He is the only way because he is the only one who is worthy enough to pay that price on the cross. There is no spiritual leader that could replicate what he did. 
There is no spiritual leader that can make you good before a holy God. Only Jesus Christ, because of his death, gave you his righteousness in exchange for bearing the penalty for our sins. And only if you confess him with your mouth that he is Lord and Savior. By repenting of your sins, turning away from your rebellion against God, turning away from your former manner of life, and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing him, you will find salvation. You will have the gifts given to us and promised to us, which starts with eternal life. And you will understand what it means to be in the blessed house of God, to be a part of the family of God, and to be enabled by the power of God through his Holy Spirit and through these gifts that we have been talking about. But I would urge you that you would, I would urge you not to leave this place without talking to one of us. And at this time, uh, deacons and your wives, can you please stand up? Deacons and uh, your wives, please stand up. If you are new and you need to know more about this Christ, if you feel the call, please talk to one of these individuals standing up. Thank you very much. Or talk to myself. Um, But please do not leave today without speaking to one of us. We'd be more than happy to talk to you, to pray with you to explain um, again who Christ is and how simple it is to be able to confess him and be saved. Now, for the rest of us, I hope and pray that you understand that my purpose up here um, is a holy burden given to me by God. What I'm sharing from you here is not, this is not me trying to show you how much I know about the scriptures. I could care less about showing people how much I know about the scriptures. What I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to help you to have the convictions that I have that I see the scriptures are telling me. And the convictions from the scriptures to me tells me that our first and foremost priority as people of God is the church. It's to build up one another, to be equipped for service. And of course, as you go out, you want to share Christ. You want to be that witness to non-believers. But don't neglect one another. Don't pass up those opportunities to be a blessing to one another. Already in the short time, I can tell you that in the time that Alice and I have been here, there are many of you that have shared things with us that you haven't shared with anyone else. And we've only been here, what, six or seven months? You know, my my goal, and I realize this is going to take time because trust has to be earned. Time has to be spent. You want to develop that rapport with one another. But my hope is that more and more you two will, you, you guys will all start to entrust each other and do the work of ministry for the good of Christ and building up the body of Christ. Let's pray.